Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar. This is going to be episode 32, and we're going to do the readings for Wednesday, the third week of Ordinary Time. If you like what I do and you think I'm doing a good job, please subscribe and share. It would be a great help. So let's begin with the act of contrition in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and what I have failed to do through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, Ever-Virgin, and all the angels and saints and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us of all our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Christe eleison, Christe eleison, Christe eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy. Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Glory to God in the highest and, the, and on earth, peace to people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, heavenly King, O God, almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world. Receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father. Have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One. You alone are the Lord. You alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and the glory of God the Father. Amen. Okay, so let's begin. Now, we continue with Hebrews. Uh, first reading. Chapter 10, verse 11 to 18. He has made perfect forever those who are being consecrated. Reading from the letter to the Hebrews. Every priest stands daily at his ministry, offering frequently those same sacrifices that can never take away sins. But this one offered one sacrifice for sins and took his seat forever at the right hand of God. Now he waits until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has made perfect forever those who are being consecrated. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us. For after saying, This is the covenant I will establish with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them upon their minds. He also says, their sins and their evil doing I will remember no more. Where there is forgiveness of the of these, there is no longer offering for sin. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. One more time. Reading from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter ten, verse eleven to eighteen. He has made perfect forever those who are being consecrated. A reading from the letter to the Hebrews. Every Every priest stands at his ministry, offering frequently those same sacrifices that can never take away sins. But this one offered one sacrifice for sins, 
and took his seat forever at the right hand of God. Now he waits until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has made perfect forever those who are being consecrated. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us. For after saying, This is the covenant I will establish with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my, in, my, my laws in their hearts, and I will write them upon their minds. He also says, Their sins and their evil doing I will remember no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer offering for sin. Now let's, uh, let's look at it one more time. Every priest stands daily at his ministry, offering, offering frequently those same sacrifices that can never take away sin. Every priest stands at his ministry, offering frequently those sacrifices that can never take away sins. So in the Old Covenant, the priest had to offer sacrifices of sins daily for the nation, for the people, but also it was for the world. Israel was a representative, was sort of like the um, advocate in the, in the Old Covenant uh, for the whole world. Because remember, under Solomon, the, the house of prayer was made for all nations, and Israel was was supposed to be the nation that would one day God would send his law out, his covenant, his new covenant out to the whole world. So the priest made daily in the old covenant, frequent those same sacrifices that can never take away sin. It was a prefiguration. Okay. If every single day the priest had to be there and they had to offer sacrifices in the prayers in the morning, evening, um, daytime, evening, and it was constantly sacrifices for, for the world, for the nation, and the priest himself individually. But it was not a superior; it was an inferior covenant. If sin is, it doesn't stop. It doesn't take away sins forever. It's not a one sacrifice forever. No, it they had to constantly do it. But this one offered. Um, one sacrifice for sins and took his seat forever at the right hand of God. This one sacrifice fulfilled all the other, other sacrifices that look forward to the ultimate and superior sacrifice. And it would be the one sacrifice that would be for eternity for all the future generations that will come. When we go to mass, yes, you will see the priest performing the last supper. It's both in time and out of time. It fulfill, it's the one sacrifice that was done in the upper room. And it was also the sacrifice that was done on the cross. It fulfilled all those in the past who look forward to Christ. It fulfilled the sacrifice in time from, from the time that Jesus walked the earth 
And it's a constant one sacrifice that, for, that continues to our present day and forever in the future for the future generations that have not yet been born. The one sacrifice. It's not a continuation. We're not crucifying Christ again. Some Protestants have actually accused Catholics of doing that. No. But Jesus himself said, do this. You know, in, in, in remembrance of me, it's a memorial, but it's also a sacrifice, but not a sac. We're not crucifying him. It's the one sacrifice. When we take part in Holy Communion on Sundays and every day, we are actually back in the upper room where we were there with him eternally and in time. Because he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It's not it's not a it's it's not an imitation. It's not a a, 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 re, a a play. It is truly the one sacrifice that takes away sins in time and out of time, eternal, an everlasting covenant both in the upper room and at, at Calvary. And Jesus is forever resurrected. A true mystery, as it should be, revealed and also it mind boggles, it should. Okay, so he now sits at the right hand of the Father and waiting until all, all the souls have finally entered into, into the salvation, into the kingdom. Forever at the right hand of God, now he waits until his enemies are made, are made his footstool. For by one offering he has made perfect forever those who are being consecrated. You see? For by one offering he has made perfect forever those who are being consecrated. The Holy Spirit testifies to us for after saying, this is the covenant I will establish with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them upon their minds. He also says this, their sins and their evil doing, I will remember no more. So God, God always had plans to make sure that his laws are written in our hearts and our minds. Remember Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, will be worship him in spirit and truth, not just in Jerusalem, not just on one mountain, but in all the world, God will be worshiped in spirit and truth. Not, you know, yes, the Jews had their traditions and their customs and their rituals and they're distinctly theirs it's their customs and their rituals but <clears throat> Paul himself in his letters you know he said a lot of things about people who 
I mean, he made a distinction between Jewish customs and worshiping God in spirit and truth, just as Jesus has. Um, God is, you know, God existed long before Jewish customs. God is above Jewish customs. God is above every custom and tradition. And God, at the same time, acknowledges all customs and traditions. Um, it's better, I think, to worship in spirit and truth. It's better, I think, that one loves God beyond customs and traditions. All customs and traditions will cease. God is not into identity politics, <clears throat> even though Israel, you know, for Jewish people, their identity as Jews is important. The same thing for Muslims and the same thing for every, every custom, every religion, every ethnicity, but ethnicity and customs and traditions are not going to save us from sins. So God also acknowledges that, you know, St. Paul he, you know, he, he makes this a point and Peter recognized this when he had to baptize that Roman family, <laughs> you know, when the Holy spirit came upon them, even before they got baptized. So God transcends all these customs and traditions. All right. And then he says, I, uh, their sins and their, um, he, he makes it quite clear here in those days, he will write them in our hearts and our minds. And that's what he wants. God is beyond customs and traditions. God is beyond ethnicity and nationalism. And God loves us. And he made us. I mean, even, you know, you go back to Genesis, you can see that. So there are sins and our evil doing. He will remember no more. Whoever. Where there is forgiveness of sins, there is no longer offering for sin. So, the one sacrifice took away all customs and made God free. God is beyond nationality. God's love is beyond customs and traditions. He's beyond sinful behavior. Um, and this is something that's important for us to recognize. All right, so let's go to the Psalms. All right, so now the responsorial psalm, it's a psalm we've actually um, visited before. It's the Messianic Psalm of Melchizedek. It's a Psalm 110. Uh, and we come back to the psalm because it is a Messianic Psalm, a very important psalm. If you remember, um, in the beginning of Genesis with Abraham after the Battle of the Five Kings, Abraham joined the battle to save his his uh, clan member, his family member, his cousin, might be his nephew, I don't know, uh, Lot. Lot, who chose to live uh, beyond the Jordan um, among these people. I think possibly in Sodom and Gomorrah at that time he was there. And he chose to live among these people. And Abraham, uh, he was taken captive by one of the kings as, as ransom. Abraham uh, had some men trained for battle. And they went out with him 
to rescue Lot. And um, in his return, the king of Salem, or priestly king, mysterious figure, appears, and his name is Melchizedek. And Melchizedek comes and blesses Abraham, anoints him. What I believe is uh, it might be an um, a form of appearance of our Lord himself. He gives Abraham the uh, priestly blessing, which Abraham will pass down through his children and pass down to Aaron. And it would be passed down later on. It will come to uh, Jesus Christ himself in his uh, true incarnation as truly God and truly man. And he will receive not just through his mother, but through the baptism that he will receive uh, by John the Baptist. All right, so let's begin. I mean, this is my own. I'm not saying it's it's absolute. I, I could be corrected. You know, it's... But the fact is, this priestly office Jesus has to fulfill. Priest, king, prophet, and sacrifice or victim. Those are the things he has to fulfill in order of, you know, he, he will occupy and, and they will be his. And that's something I don't think anyone can argue with. Now, this subject matter with Melchizedek is open for uh, debate, open for interpretation. We don't have to be enemies about it. We don't have to be, you know, I could be wrong, but I do believe there has to be a reason why this figure would appear in the beginning later on in Psalm 110. And then we know that Hebrews, which we know in the letter of Hebrews, has made references to him. It's, it's a mysterious figure. It's, you know, he doesn't appear in the Gospels, but definitely he is a figure that seems to have been very important in Jewish theology and Christian theology, obviously. You are a priest forever in the line of Melchizedek. You are a priest forever in the line of Melchizedek. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. You are a priest forever in the line of Melchizedek. The scepter of your power, the Lord will stretch forth from Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. You are a priest forever in the line of Melchizedek. Yours is a princely power in the day of your birth, in the holy splendor. Before the day star like the dew, I have begotten you. You are a priest forever in the line of Melchizedek. The Lord has sworn and he will never, he will not repent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. You are a priest forever in the line of Melchizedek. So, all right, let's go back and see what this quote here, um, that, um, is very important. He, um, he mentions here, hold on. It's right here in the beginning almost. All right. Every priest stands daily at the ministry and offering frequently to those some to, to those same sacrifice that can never take away. Every priest stands daily at his ministry, offering frequently those same sacrifice that can never take away sins. But this one offered one sacrifice for sins and took his seat forever at the right hand of God. Now he waits, is the part here. Now he waits until his enemies are May, are made his footstool. 
And what does it say right here in the beginning of the psalm? The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So he's, so he's alluding to this particular passage in Psalm 110 at the start of it. The, that the, the line of David, the line of David, the successor, the heir, which would be the Christ, that God promised David that he would take a descendant of his, but this descendant will be far greater than David, that even David recognized him as Lord, far greater than himself. But this particular figure would also inherit a priestly office, which Abraham himself received from him, received from this particular mysterious figure called Melchizedek, the king of Jerusalem, the king of peace. A priestly office that is that will be universal, that would that would minister to that would um, minister to all of humanity. Obviously, it's a it's a mysterious figure that appears and disappears and never uh, you know he never appears ever again. He says Abraham had um, um, the the author, which is Saint Paul. He this figure Melchizedek had no beginning and no end. Who else could that possibly have been? Who also, in his divinity, has no beginning and no end? It's the Christ the Alpha and the Omega. So this priestly office was given to Abraham and passed down through the line of, of Aaron. And then also this priestly office, oh, obviously is something that David himself and his sons and his descendants shared in as king. A king is a Messiah figure. A priest is a messiah figure. The prophet also holds a messianic figure. And obviously the universal victim is a messianic figure. So he occupies all these, all these offices, all these offices in order to become savior of the world. And the only one who can actually fit in these, in, in the salvation history is only Jesus Christ himself. Only Jesus. David couldn't be savior. Abraham couldn't be savior. The prophets can't be saviors. The high priest, the earthly high priest, could not be savior or victim. None of them could fulfill that, that, that office. Only Christ can fulfill it. All right, so let's go to the gospel. All right, today, this passage, surprisingly, is extremely long. Um, St. Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 1 to 20. So, let's, we're going to spend a lot of time with this. All right, so, let's begin. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Alleluia, Alleluia. The seed is the word of God, Christ, the sower, all who come to him, will live forever. Alleluia, alleluia. The seed is the word of God. Christ is the sower. All who come to him will live forever. Alleluia, alleluia. A sower went out to sow. 
St. Mark's Gospel, a reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. Let's begin. On another occasion, Jesus began to teach by the sea. A very large crowd gathered around him so that he got into a boat on the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. As he taught them at length in parable, in the course of his instruction, he said to them, Hear this, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it had little soil. It sprang up at once, because the soil was not deep. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and it withered for the lack of roots. Some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it produced no grain. And some seed fell on rich soil and produced fruit. It came up it and grew and yielded thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold, he added. Whoever has ears to hear ought to hear. When he was done, those present along with the twelve questioned him about the parable. He answered them, The mystery of the kingdom of God has been granted to you, but to those outside everything comes in parables, so that they may look and see but not perceive, and hear and listen but not understand, in order that they may not be converted and be forgiven. Jesus said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand any of the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones on the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear, Satan comes at once and takes away the word sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, receive it at once with joy, but they have no roots. They last only for a time. But when tribulation or persecution comes, because of the word, they quickly fall away. Those sown among thorns are another sort. They are the people who hear the word, but worldly anxiety, the lure of riches, the craving for other things intrude and choke the word, and it bears no fruit. But those sown on rich soil are the ones who hear the word and accept, accept it and bear fruit, thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to spend a lot of time uh, on this one. I'm going to read it two more times. Okay? But I want to check something up first. All right. One more time. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. On another occasion, Jesus began to teach by the sea. A very large crowd gathered around him so that he got into a boat on the sea and sat down and the whole crowd was beside the sea on land and he taught them at length in parables and in the course of his instruction he said to them 
Hear this, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell on the path. And the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it had little soil. It sprang up at once, because the soil was not deep. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and it, it withered for lack of roots. Some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it produced no grain. Some seed fell on rich soil and produced fruit. It came up and grew and yielded thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. He added, Whoever has ears to hear ought to hear. And when he was alone, those present along with the twelve questioned him about the parables. He answered them, The mystery of the kingdom of God has been granted to you. But to those outside everything comes in parables, so that they may look and see, but not perceive, and hear and listen, but not understand, in order that they may not be converted and be forgiven. Jesus said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand any of the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones on the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear, Satan comes at once and takes away the word sown in them. These are the ones sown on rocky ground, who once when they hear the word receive it at once with joy. But they have no roots, they last only for a time. Then when tribulation or persecution comes, because of the word, they quickly fall away. Those sown among thorns are another sort. They are the people who hear the word. What worldly anxiety, the lure of the riches, and the craving for other things intrude and choke the word, and it bears no fruit. But those sown on rich soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. Okay. <clears throat> I'm going to read it one more time, and then we'll go back and sort of like uh, uh, um, study it, dissect it. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 4, verse 1 to 20. On another occasion, Jesus began to teach by the sea. A very large crowd gathered around him so that he got into a boat on the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was beside the sea in the land, and he taught them at length in parables. And in the course of his instructions he said to them, Hear this, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed some seed fell on the path. And the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it had little soil. It sprang up at once, because the soil was not deep. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, 
and it withered for lack of roots. Some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it produced no grain. And some seed fell on rich soil and produced fruit. It came up and grew and yielded thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. He added, Whoever has ears to hear ought to hear. And when he was done, those present along with the twelve questioned him about the parables. He answered them, The mystery of the kingdom of God has been granted to you. But to those outside everything comes in parables, so that they may look and see but not perceive, and hear and listen but not understand, in order that they may not be converted and be forgiven. Jesus said to them, do you not understand these parables? Then how will you understand any of the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones on the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear, Satan comes at once, takes away the word sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground who, when they hear the word, receive it at once with joy. But they have no roots. They last only for a time. Then when tribulation or persecution comes, because of the word, they quickly fall away. Those sown among thorns are another sort. They are the people who hear the word, but worldly anxiety, the lure, the riches, the craving for other things intrude and choke the word, and it bears no fruit. But those sown on rich soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I believe this is the one that is actually least appreciated um, mainly I think by Catholics um, sadly like I said Catholics should read their Bible they they hear the Bible every single day at Mass if you go to daily Mass and sometimes I think maybe there's a problem because a lot of times because they go to Mass they think because I go to Mass I hear it I don't have to read it I think the average Catholic layman tends to have that tendency, they think. But really, the sad problem is, is that if you go for the sacrament, you should also go for the written word. If you go for the real presence, then why wouldn't you not want to know the real presence by listening to the to his teachings, to the scriptures? And I think, I don't know, I think it's it's something... That's really, um, that's, I think it's, it's serious because Catholics should be reading their Bible. They must read their Bible. And, um, you know, Protestants have often accused Catholics of this, that, uh, you know, they just, they, 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 they don't, they don't read their Bible because when, when a Protestant approaches a Catholic, most Catholics are like alien. They, they, they're like a deer in headlights when it comes to the scriptures. And I'm, I'm speaking from a person who's a convert because most converts like 
myself, Scott Hahn, Dr. Taylor Marshall, we love the Bible. And we're like oddballs in the Catholic world. Converts are always like oddballs because we want to know the, 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 the faith. We want to know it. Why else would we convert to a faith and not want to know the faith? It's an unfortunate um, problem. It's an unfortunate problem. And I think mainly Catholics who grew up really don't appreciate, I think, where, um, their faith. They, they have this habit. As long as I go to the feast days, as long as I go to the Sundays, or maybe I'll go to a daily communion and I receive it that, and I hear what they're saying and that's it. But sadly, I think what happened was uh, from the time of the Reformation, um, Catholicism, the Bible, had, the Bible, which came out of the Catholic Church, has been weaponized against the Catholic Church. And uh, I think it's it's unfortunate, but I think it's uh, uh, I don't know hubris. It's it's difficult to say, but let's let's go into this. It's 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 strange. All right. On another occasion, Jesus began to teach by the sea. A very large crowd gathered around him, so that he he got into a boat on the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on land. We're going to stop right there. Okay. So Jesus began to teach by the sea. All right. Uh, another occasion, Jesus began to teach by the sea. The sea, he, he's on the seashore and he's by, after that is the, the water. So, the, the sea represents the world as in scripture, many scripture scholars say represents the peoples of the different nations, the different world on the land, obviously represents the country where the gospel came from, the land of Israel, the land of Judah, the country of the, uh, uh, you, know, uh, you know, land always represents the nation, a particular nation from the rest of the nations, which is the waters. Remember, like in the book of Revelation, when John, when Jesus appeared to John, he speaks with the voice of many waters. That's the voice of many languages. And also we see a counterpart to that when the Crete, the beast that rises from the sea, also speaks with the lang with, with the voice of many waters coming out of the sea he comes out of all the nations the different nations okay but a particular country a particular land usually would you know uh, you know represents a particular place in this case it's the land of Israel it's the land of Judah the, the land of the Jews where Jesus himself where the gospel comes from so, you know, and it says the whole crowd was beside the sea, beside the sea on the land. So it's the crowd of people, okay, and on the land. So there are people, it could be people from many different nations, all right? 
and in this case, you know, on the land. So, the in a sense, the country of the gospel, or it could also represent the church. They make up the church because obviously the the many different people make up, you know, they come together to hear the gospel and they make up the church. They make up the church which has which speaks in the language of many different nations. It represents the different, you know, different nations. Jesus is on the boat, and the boat represents the church. And he sits, he sits down in the boat. He's sitting on his throne. It represents his throne. He is the Lamb. He is the Son of Man. And all the nations, and like it says in Daniel, you know, uh, he rules over all the nations. You know, to him has been given dominion, principality, uh, authority over many different nations, and all come and pay him homage. You know, and they, you know, and he himself makes up, he represents new people. Remember what God said to Abraham through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All right, your descendants will be like the stars of heaven and the sand of the seashore sand of the sea or the sand so you see what i'm saying in this in this case the prophecy is being fulfilled okay so we go further um and, and it go, um he sat down and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land okay and he taught them at length in parables in the course of his in uh instructions he said to them hear this a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. <clears throat> okay, this is where we're going to have to look at this very, very carefully, because this is the one of the parables, I think, like I said, is least appreciated. And uh, people spend little time to really, it's meant to make you think. This parable is meant to really make us think, to really ponder, to really meditate. Sorry, my book slipped. Um, okay. As he sowed, some seed fell on the path. On the path. Uh, you know how some people, they say, you know, you get off the path. Well, this in this case, the seed fell on the path and the birds came and ate it up. So some birds came down and ate it up. Sometimes uh, translations may have a crow or ravens. So which is sort of like gives the the bird a little bit of more an ominous look, which is like because the ravens or crows kind of have uh, dark uh, elements to them, especially in satanic stories or ghost stories. Oh, you ever heard like Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven? They ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it had little soil. It sprang up at once because the soil was not deep. And when the sun rose, it was scorched and it withered for lack of root. Some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it produced no grain. And then finally, the final one, some seed fell on rich soil and produced fruit. It came up, grew, and yielded thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold, he added. Whoever has ears to hear ought to hear. All right. The last one, we pretty much get it. We pretty much get 
the last one. It fell on good soil and produced abundant fruit. It, in other words, it was successful. It was a successful harvest. It's the others that we have to go back and, and we see. So we know the one where the birds come and they ate it up. So obviously that was no success. They, the seed fell on the path and the birds came. All right. And the birds came and ate it up. Others, other seed fell on rocky ground where it had little soil. It sprang up at once because the soil was not deep. And when the sun rose, it was scorched and withered for lack of roots. The sun, so the heat, the heat, it, it couldn't withstand the, uh, the heat of the sun. Okay, so um, then it says here, some seed fell among thorns. The thorns don't have a good, that doesn't have a good um, uh, picture to it, right? Some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it produced no grain. All right, so, and some seed, and the last one, the seed fell on rich soil and produced fruit. It came, it grew, it yielded 30, 60, and 100 fold. Then he says here, a hundredfold, and he added, whoever has ears to hear ought to hear. All right, so, and when he was alone, those present along with the 12 questioned him about the parables. He answered them, the mystery of the kingdom of God has been granted to you. But to those who, um, those outside, everything comes in parables, so that they may look and see, but not perceive, and hear and listen, but not understand, in order that they may not be converted and be forgiven. All right, so he's quoting a passage of scripture. Where is this path, passage located? It's located in Isaiah. And I'm going to look it up and I'm going to read the whole passage to you. Okay? Jesus is quoting Isaiah chapter 6. This is the passage where Isaiah found himself in the temple. So, listen to this. I'm going to read to you as, as far till we get to the passage that Jesus is quoting. In the year, this is from chapter 6, verse 1. In the year uh of King Uzziah, that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple, that's his long robe, and above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered, uh, he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and the one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphim to me, having in his hand a burning coal, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, 
This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin forgiven. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who shall go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go and say to the people, Hear, but do not understand. See and see, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people fat and their ears heavy and and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until the cities lay waste without inhabitants and houses without men, and the land is utterly desolate. And the Lord removes men far away, and for and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stumps remain standing when it is failed, when when it has, when it has felled. The holy seed is its stump. <clears throat> All right, so that's a lot there, but. You can see the passage where Jesus has taken, uh, he's quoting, he's quoting Isaiah. And when you go back, you have to go back and figure out what is he trying to say? Now he's speaking to the fact that the people have become lazy, spiritually lazy. They don't appreciate what has been given to them. And, um, so, okay, so now when we read that part, when we read that part of what Jesus is saying, let's go back and let's continue. So we know he was quoting Isaiah. And Jesus said to them, do you not, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand any of the parables? The sower sows the word. Okay, so the, the seed is the word of God. Okay, all right, a sower went out to sow, and, you know, some seed fell on the path. Okay, so we know now that the word is the word of God. These are the ones on the path where the word is sown. Is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes at once and takes away the word sown in them. The These are the ones on rocky ground, who then they hear the word and receive it at one. Okay, let's stop right there for a minute. The birds, or the birds, sometimes it's, it's translated with ravens or crows in some translations, takes, eats it up, takes it, steals the word. So it represents people who deliberately prevent the word of God from taking root, from, from people receiving it. Could represent bad clerics could represent, you know, bad, bad priests. Uh, it could represent uh, uh, people who want to prevent people from growing morally. So if you don't, if you don't hear the word, you don't know it. And so you are alien to the word. You're stupid. You're spiritually stupid. You're pretty much, let's say it, a dumb Christian. You're an ignorant Christian. You don't know the word. So basically either, you know, because someone decided to keep you ignorant, 
So you don't know your faith. It's not just the scripture. It's everything about your faith. All right. How many Catholics don't believe in the real presence? How many Catholics don't believe Jesus is God? How many Catholics don't believe Jesus uh, is the incarnate word born of the Virgin Mary? How many Catholics don't even believe that the church teaches the truth? So basically, and you have some people who still want to call themselves Christians after all that, because they just want to be a, they think it's civilized and respectable to be a Christian, but they don't bother to study their faith. So these are people either not through their own fault, but as you go down the line, you begin to see it is that they're not entirely innocent as we go. So the one steals the word and prevents the person. It could be even family members that prevent their kids from being Christian who deliberately decide you don't need to go to church. All right, so let's go down. Okay, Satan, Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. These are the ones sown on rocky ground who, when they hear the word, receive it at once with joy, but they have no root. They last only for a time. Then when tri tribulation or persecution comes because of the, or because of the word, they quickly fall away. Now, um, he's talking about the ones that fall on rocky, other seed fall on rocky ground where it had little soil. It sprang up at once because the soil was not deep. And when the sun rose, it was scourged and withered for lack of root. Okay, but look what he says here about the lack of root. These are the ones sown on rocky ground, So, uh, who, when they hear the word, receive it at once with joy, but they have no roots. They last only for a time. Then when tribulation or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So others receive it, but it's on rocky ground and they don't have, in other words, it's not entirely in them. In other words, they receive it, they like hearing it, but it hasn't dug deep into their soul. In other words, there is no intimate relationship. There is no true relationship. It's a shallow relationship. It's a shallow faith. It's not even real faith. It's just shallow. It's And then suddenly, because of persecution, he mentions here persecution for some uh, tribulation. Tribul okay, first he says tribulation. Political, maybe social, maybe economic. It may be, uh, but sometimes it's it's shallow stuff like, you know, public opinion, or because people because embarrassment. They they're embarrassed to be associated with the church. They're embarrassed to admit that they're Catholic. They're embarrassed of 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 the people they grew up with. They may be embarrassed of their mother's faith. They're, being, they're embarrassed of their family. Maybe they're embarrassed to have a family member who's a priest. Maybe they're embarrassed to have a family member who's a missionary. And so they distance themselves because they want to be socially acceptable. 
And so they do that. They become, you know, they begin to distance themselves. They, they don't wear a cross. They don't make the sign of the cross. They don't go to, uh, you know, uh, they rather go to some kind of uh, convention on a Sunday. Uh, heck, you even have Catholics who take their kids to Little League on a Sunday. Not even a Saturday, a Sunday. Oh, uh, on the Lord's Day, they rather go to Little League than to have their uh, than than to go to church. So, you know, not even church first, Little League first. And I've seen it, I've seen it. You know, I work near uh, near an institution near Central Park. I've seen it. I've seen them do that. You know, I mean, because you know why? Uh, guess what? Some of the kids might be Jewish, so they don't. The kid, the Jewish kids, don't go on a Saturday. But the Christian kids are willing to sacrifice their Sunday. The family, the Christian family is willing to sacrifice their kid on a Sunday. Right? So they go, they go with them. They go to uh, Central Park. They play the little league. And of course, what's going to happen afterward, they're going to go to maybe have a, a hot dog or, or something for the kids. And maybe the Christians don't even bother to make it to uh, the church, the family members. So you see what I'm saying? It's a shallow, you know, the tribulation, the, the tribulation to be associated or persecution because of the word. He says he had tribulation or persecution because of the word. They quickly fall away. Those sown among thorns, and this is, and this is another one here, are another sort they are people who hear the word, but worldly anxiety, the lure of the riches, the cravings for other things intrude and choke the word, and it bears no fruit. So this is the ones among the thorns. Okay. Okay, then he says they quickly fall away. The sown among thorns. So the thorns represent, like he says here, the lure, the riches the craving for other things intrude and choke the word and it bears no fruit. It bears no fruit. So they go after the fame, the riches, the power, the lure for sensuality. A good example is uh, that singer, she comes from a Christian family Katy Perry. She came from a, a, she used to sing gospel music. And because she couldn't get any fame, she wasn't becoming famous. She's pretty. She's very beautiful. Her father and mother are very religious. I heard they belong to some, they're not Catholic, but they belong to uh, a Bible believing group. A very, you know, and she, she no longer associates with that. At least she does it for now. At least, who knows? But she wants to be, um, she wants to be famous. She wants to be seriously famous. She wants, she she wants that fame. She wants to, instead of being still being a Christian or associating with the Christian faith, she gave it up. And this happens to a lot. A lot of people they do this: the lure and the need of riches and the the vanity of the world and everything will will make a travesty of their of their a shipwreck of their faith 
And she even criticized it. I think from an interview, she, she, she looks at them as intolerant. You know, I mean, Madonna grew up a Catholic and she got into Kabbalah. Lady Gaga came from a Catholic Italian family, I think, I think. And she got into this woman with Abramovich, uh, which is uh, uh, spirit cooking, which I heard is, uh, is associated with Aleister Crawley, uh, the Satanist. At least that's what I heard. You know, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to defame, but they go into either Scientology, Kabbalah, or some other new age religion. Okay. They go into one of those th particular things, but never mind being a Christian. All right. And this goes back to bad teachers. It goes back to bad Catholic uh, training, bad, bad formation. At one time in Hollywood, being a Catholic was was okay. It was kind of cool because you had the, you know, the, the the family rosary hour, the family who prays together stays together. Uh, you had celebrities who were proud to to take part in the, uh, the Catholic uh, Catholic culture, Christian culture. And then slowly, as the years went by, as we got into the seventies and the eighties, and suddenly, suddenly, at one point, it Hollywood pushed Christianity off, off the stage. I think the last time might have been when, uh, when you had like uh, Jesus of Nazareth, maybe, and who knows a few other uh, biblical films that, you know, that Hollywood was happy to be associated with. I mean, the last time there was a big biblical film like uh, The Passion of the Christ, that was a controversial one, remember? People thought that Mel Gibson was going to take the faith backwards to medieval times or something. But these are the things that, uh, you know, this is, this is a warning. Okay, the last soil goes on rich, uh, the last seed falls on good soil. And this one grows abundantly. And because it grows, it shares it with others. You know, you you don't have to be you, you should not be ashamed of being of of being Catholic. As a matter of fact, you know, you study your faith more. And here's another thing: don't get upset. When you're being challenged, don't get upset if you're getting resistance. Don't get upset if you hear criticism, hostility towards the faith. That's another thing. I, I, I went through that myself where you're eager to want to be heard and you might find yourself, you want to like, you start raising your voice. Don't, don't get upset. Understand that you're going to get hostility. Hostility is natural. There's you know, you got to expect to be hostility, but don't, don't look for a fight either. Don't look for a fight. First and foremost, what we have to do is work on our faith, work on ourselves. Don't go in there looking for a challenge because you want to get some medals. No, know your faith. Study your faith, pray, read the scriptures, ignore people, 
ignore the hostility. You need to grow in grace first, and I still need to do it because sometimes I I find myself in situations like this. You're going to get hostility. People are going to make fun of you. People are going to tease you. People are going to say ugly things, even blasphemous things. And people are going to throw at you the sex scandals, the sexual, the clergy scandals, the abuses. They're going to, they're going to uh, quote the media. Oh, the Pope is going to, uh, the Pope has changed the religion. The Pope can't change anything. Okay. And whatever the media tells you, the media only gives you half the report. They, they want to get as much ratings as possible. So they're not, they don't care if they get what the Vatican says wrong, if they miss, if they misquoted the Vatican or they misquoted the Pope. They can't, you know, they, 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 first of all, they don't care. It doesn't matter to them. It's the Vatican. It's the Pope who cares if they get it wrong. I mean, they barely even get political news right. They, 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 they quote, they take something out of context and they don't bother to quote the whole context. They give like three seconds, four, five seconds to what the Pope says, maybe seven seconds if you're lucky. And they give you a small little quote and they move off to something else. They give more time to sports. They'll give more time to, uh, to a celebrity. Right, they're not. They're not going to give the uh, Catholic Church on the news no more than probably. You're lucky if it was even a half a minute. And they don't care. It doesn't matter to them because it's just fuller. They just have to put something in there to say that they've, uh, you know, they they filled up that the those few minutes in that, in that schedule. That's all. They, that's all they're going to do. So you you know we you know we have to grow we have to grow in our faith we can't you can't okay right now catechism is riding your bike with training wheels okay apologetics next when learning about the faith but you got to learn how to talk to people and be calmly be calm don't get upset you want I know you want to, we all want to defend our faith. First of all, why are we going to waste our time to people that don't care? If someone wants to know the truth, then you could talk to that person. But someone is going to mock the faith and doesn't care, you can't talk to them. Period. It's over. You can't. Because they don't, they don't want to listen. All right, so I'm going to end it here. So let's say in Our Father and uh, a couple of Hail Marys, we'll say the Our Father for um, for people um, in going through a crisis, and uh, we'll say a Hail Mary for the the Pope and the Church in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory now and forever. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael, Archangel of God, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wild, wicked attack of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And now, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless, and we'll be back together again soon. Amen.